I, I want to show you something very simple, and then I, I hope that you'll see it and understand it. Something you haven't seen for a while, but I wanted to show you this. I want you to see it in several parts. When Christ was here and he preached to mixed multitude, those that wanted to know truth and those that didn't, they would hear different things. Now, when I say let this hand represent you and me and the wallet represents sin, we all have sin on us. God says that we've all sinned and the wage of sin is death, so we're all condemned and we can't save ourselves and got to be perfect to go to heaven. And so just by that part alone, if you listen to that, it's all negative and it's, uh, it's bad news. Heaven is perfect. We're not. We committed sin. That's not good. We got to pay for it and help. That's not good. Can't earn your way to heaven. That's not good. Nothing's good. It's all bad news. But then if I say the other part, number five, Christ died for our sins, came back from the dead and said, if we would believe it, we could have eternal life. Oh, that's good. That's good news. Christ died for me. If I believe it, I can have eternal life and know I'm going to heaven when I die. So if you're sitting there listening, so I'm going to take a, make a note out of what Yankee just said. And you only wrote down the bad news. Did, did I say that? Yeah, he said that. Yes, that's exactly what he said. Somebody else, say, listen, and they only wrote down the good news. Boy, that was good news. Boy, that was good news. Somebody said, that was nothing but bad news. One is negative and one is positive. But I only preached the one message. Did I need both of them? Or do I just need one part of it? I needed both. Because you see, you can't appreciate the good news unless you understand the bad news. And so because everybody has the need for the good news, they've got to understand why God did what he did and the way he did it. Now, as I've studied the scriptures, and especially in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I kind of step back and try to figure out, now, what's, what's the purpose of these books and the way they're laid out, what's the point? Why didn't he just write one book that said it all instead of four guys from four different angles telling the same story? And yet we know that everything Christ did, as he says in the book of John, that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life through his name. So it tells you the purpose of the book at the end of the book. Generally, you think, well, you tell the purpose of the book at the beginning of the book. Why am I writing this book? And as you go through it, you study, what's the point of this book? What's the point of this one? Of all the miracles that Christ did, the way he handled himself, the questions, the answers, everything was for a reason, trying to deliver the evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be. All of it is based upon belief. Do you believe? What do you have to believe? Look at what he did to get people to believe. So when you go through it and you study it and you see these things, you realize there's more here than meets the eye. So the idea that I had in my mind is what is that last piece of evidence? The last piece of evidence that Jesus gave, the evidence that proved that everything he said and everything he did was true. So when you read that, it's, it's very interesting. I want you to take your Bible and just go to the book of Matthew. Go to the book of Matthew. And you'll notice that 
In Matthew, yes, it talks about the genealogy of Christ and who Christ is concerning the lineage as it goes all the way back to David and showing that he is to be the king of Israel and that he is of the tribe of Judah and going all the way up and showing that all of this is true. So here in Matthew in chapter 2, look there in verse 1. Where it says in verse 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So it seems like all four of the gospels starts off with when Jesus began his ministry, as it says in Mark, in the beginning of the gospel. Like in Luke, in the beginning of the gospel. And in one, in the beginning about his birth. And in Matthew, in the beginning about his birth. So... Some start with John the Baptist, and others start when he was born. But in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, and his ministry even began when he was 12 years old, when he says, I must be about my father's business. I love the way it's worded. He says, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? In other words, don't you know who I am? As a 12-year-old boy, don't you know who I am? That was to his parents. Don't you know I must be about my father's business? And he's not talking about Joseph, who was a carpenter. So he had a ministry. Now, he didn't begin officially his ministry until he was 30 years old. But in verse 1, he says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So now the rest of this book is going to be laying the foundation, the groundwork, that Jesus has every right to claim the throne of Israel. He was born king of the Jews. This is who he was. This is what he was going to do. And as you go through and you see all the things that Jesus did because of him being born king of the Jews. But now, take and go all the way to the last chapter, or almost to the last chapter. I want you just to see something in Matthew chapter 26. Look in Matthew chapter 26, and you'll notice... Through all of this, it's always about who is this man? Just who is he? Who does he think he is? Who does he claim to be? What do people think about them? And then Jesus even asked them the question, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He gave her the answer in the statement. Who do they say that I am? But because it's all about who am I? Do you know who I am? In Matthew chapter 26, look in verse 68, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ. Who is he that smote thee? You say you're the Christ. Well, they knew that Christ is supposed to be the Son of God. Christ is supposed to be the Lamb of God. You see, they knew that. And if you are who you say you are, who is it that smote you? Remember, they put a sack over his head and they slapped his face. They beat him with their fist. All these things they did to him. It was a test to see, who are you? 
If you are who you say you are, come down from the cross and we will believe. It's all about who is he? Who is this Christ? Like I talked about this morning when he says, the Christ, whose son is he? Why, he's David's son. Well, if he's David's son, how can David call him Lord if he's his son? Interesting. But now notice what else he says. You'll notice three times because it's always about either believing who he is or denying who he is. And you'll notice in verse 70 that Peter, but he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. I don't know what you're talking about. Verse 72, and again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. I don't know the man. Verse 74, then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. See, everything in life is your identification to Christ. Do you know him? Do you know who he is? Our eternal destination is dependent upon you knowing who Christ is. Who is he? What does he do? What do you believe? What is the reason for you believing that Jesus Christ can save you to start with? How do you know he can save you? How do you know? If you don't know how you know he can save you, how do you know he has? What are you going by? What's the foundational truth? What's your reason? What is the evidence? Everybody has to have evidence. See, that's what gives you confidence and boldness, surety. That confidence that you have, you know that what you believe is true. But what is this great truth? When Christ came for three years, everything he did was to convince him he was who he said he was. And did he give any evidence? Did he give any reasons for them to believe what he said? And he said to some people, he says, he did not many miracles there because of their unbelief, because they wouldn't believe. And then when he did do some miracles, they followed him only because they could get a free meal. They were intrigued by the miracles, but he only used them so that they would be convinced, look, only God can do this. Only the Messiah, the Christ can do what I've done. I want you to believe me. So the question comes up in verse 11 of chapter 27. Look at that verse. Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? Are you, are, you, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you said it, man. Well, I didn't say it quite like that, but he says, thou sayest it. In other words, I don't know if he believed it, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Anyway, they put some things up there, but I want you to look there in verse 29. When they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. And a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Do you think they really believed he was the King of the Jews? If they really did, they would not have mocked him. It wouldn't have been a mockery. But putting a robe upon him and crown of thorns, that's what the king was supposed to wear. They made fun of him. They mocked him. Why did they do that? Because they didn't believe he was who he claimed to be. You see, Christ had given evidence over and over and over again by the things that he said, and they were astonished. 
at His doctrine, at His authority of the Scriptures. Where did this man learn such things? And he would say over and over again, the words that I speak are not my words, but the words of Him that sent me. I did not come to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. So that people would believe. And even when he prayed, there was time when he would say, My father, I am not praying to you because I need to do it where they can hear. But I want them to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I want them to know you. Everything he did was to convince people, giving them evidence. And the reason is because God says you're hard-headed and you're stiff-necked. You want to know why should I believe it? And so he gave us all these reasons. Look there in verse 37 of the book of Matthew in chapter 27. And he says there in verse 37, And set up over his head his accusation written. He was accused. His accusa- he was accused of the claiming that he was the king of the Jews. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Verse 42 says, he saved others himself. He cannot save if he be the kingdom. Is he who he claims to be? You would think after three years, they would either be convinced one way or the other. Some were still mocking, making fun. Some of the people heard him gladly. And then yet there were others. In John chapter 6, the multitude that was hearing him, they were greatly offended because of the things that he said. So he turned to his disciples and he says, will you also go away? He said, whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Will thou also go away? Just think who he was. And they wist not who it was. This was God in the flesh who came to visit man. And in the book of Luke, he says, because thou knewest not, chapter 19, thou knewest not the day of thy visitation when God came to visit. You weren't home. He wasn't welcome. No room in the inn. No room anywhere. They didn't want him in their home. They didn't want him in their government. They didn't want him. He was rejected. He was crucified. Look there in verse 54, where it says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, you ought to underline this, truly this was the Son of God. This is who he is. He is the Son of God. Those things that happened, the earthquake, the darkness, All the things that they saw, some convinced some people and something would convince somebody else and something would convince somebody else. See, I don't know what it is that convinces everybody of what they believe. But I know this. I have been convinced. I have all the evidence that I need. I need no more evidence. I haven't needed any more evidence for 53 years. Because that night when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I believed with all my heart that He was who He claimed to be and that He would save me and give me eternal life. 
This has changed my whole life. Changed my life. I'm not the same man I used to be. It doesn't matter what's come and gone. It doesn't matter about all the heartaches and the problems. And I've had a lot of them. When I sat down and I wrote that song, We Saw the Rainbow Through the Rain, what do you think that song's about? Listen to the words. We saw the rainbow through the rain. Not when it's sun shining. It's that there's always problems. There's always something that caused the tears to flow. There's always heartaches and problems and despair. And yet there's something that you see, the promises of God that keep shining through, and you just keep on moving. Just keep on trusting. And you don't know how God's going to deliver. You just believe that He will. And if He doesn't, like the three Hebrew boys that said, if He doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow the knee to Baal or to bow the knee to the king. We're not going to fall down and worship you. And if we burn, we burn. Did you know God set that whole thing up? God already knew that those three Hebrew children were not going to burn in a fire. He knew they were going to be cast in it. But he looked in there and says, how many did we throw in there? He said, with three? I see four. And one looks like the Son of God. I don't know if he ever saw the Son of God before, but one looks like the Son of God. And they came out and there was no smoke smell on them. Nobody's hair was singed. The fire never hurt any of them. Now, don't you try that. And don't jump over some fence at the zoo and see if the lion is going to keep his mouth shut because, hey, Daniel, it did it for him. And you think they're going to get lockjaw? The Bible says, tempt not the Lord thy God. Like jumping off the Empire State Building. Say, if God doesn't want me to get hurt, I won't get hurt. Well, halfway down, hey, so far so good. But you know you have an appointment with the concrete. Mashed potatoes. So as you go through and you read these things and you see that God has done all of this. Now, I want you to see something after it's all over with. In verse 18 of chapter 28, he says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Something must have happened between this point and that verse we read over there where he was on the cross. And they were watching Jesus. It says, truly this was the Son of God. Something must have happened somewhere in between here. <gasps> there it is. Chapter 28 and verse 1. Where it says, in the end of the Sabbath, it began to dawn toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye see Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. Look at verse 6. He is not here. He is, I wonder where he is. He is not here. For he is what? The last piece of evidence has been provided. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the last piece of evidence that this man who claimed to be the king, 
this man that claimed to be the son of God, this man that was the great servant in book of Mark, and this man that was God in the flesh, this man has given us the last piece of evidence that anybody needs. And if that doesn't convince you, nothing will ever convince you. Jesus came back from the dead. Now, there's a lot of people today that don't believe in teaching the resurrection of Christ. But if we don't have a resurrection, we don't have a Savior. Jesus came back from the dead. So as you study the whole book of Matthew, it ends up with this last piece of evidence. You study the book of Mark, and it's this last piece of evidence. Look at Bible look there in the book of Mark. And look there in the last chapter, 16. I want you to see this. But you'll notice, and I'll just jump back one extra chapter, chapter 15 of the book of Mark. And you'll notice in verse 32, and it says, Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. The people were looking for a reason to believe Him. Give us some proof. And yet He had spent three and a half years giving them evidence as to who He was. And they still would not believe. All right, we know you're up there now. We know you're nailed to the cross. Now, why don't you come down from the cross? And the thieves on both sides says, yes. Why don't you come down and save yourself and us? And then everybody will believe. Because you know that you can't come down off that cross. And I've told you before, I would have come down. I zapped him and went back up. But he did not come down from the cross. Because if he had came down from the cross, nobody could have been saved. Isn't it something that here's someone that could have very easily have done whatever they requested. If they wanted him to jump through some hoop, he could have jumped through some hoop. If they wanted him to do some little miracle just for them, special, he could have done all of that. But he was fixing to give them the greatest miracle of all. No man of his own power has ever come back again from the dead. Did you know if you could come back from the dead, you wouldn't have to fear dying? And that's the point of the resurrection. So that we don't have to fear death. We don't have to be afraid. We know that we will live on the other side of the grave. When they kill this body, we know we're still alive. Because Jesus came back from the dead. Just like he promised. Just like he said. It says down there in verse 39. Just a little different twist. But it says the same thing as Matthew in chapter 27. When he talked about the centurion. And verse 39, and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. He was who he claimed to be. See, in one place, he, this man is the king. This man is the son of God. He's who he claimed to be. Now, what is it that convinces us? Because here we are on this side of the resurrection 2,000 years later. And God wants me to serve him. Why should I? Why should I? Well, who is he? Who is asking me to do this for him? Look, I've only got one life to live. And why should I live it for somebody that I can't see? I mean, why should I jeopardize my future? Of what I want to do and what I want to be and where I want to go for somebody I can't see who died 2,000 years ago. He's God. Oh. 
And this God has my life in his hands. Like this one man, he wanted to see just how wise, you know, the man on the top of the mountain peak really was. You know, there's always this guru that sits on top of a mountain peak, and you have to climb up this great little steep mountain, you know, about 30,000 feet up in the air, you know, and you got to go see this guy. And you ask him questions, he knows everything. He said, I'm going to trick this guy. So he put a live bird in his hand. And he climbed up this mountain, he gets up there. He says, oh, wise one, the bird in my hand, is it dead or is it alive? And if he says it's alive, I'm going to kill it. If he says it's dead, I'm going to let it loose. In other words, whatever he says, I'm going to trick him. And he's wrong. The point is, can I prove that he's wrong? There are people who are determined to prove God wrong. That God's way isn't the best. God doesn't know everything. What about my world? I can be happier without God. There's a person called the devil and he lies. He deceives. So the old wise one sitting on the top of the mountain peak, he says, It shall be as you desire. It shall be as you desire. Good answer. So it will be according to what you want. Do you want to believe? You can. If you don't want to believe, nobody can make you. Nobody can make anybody trust Christ as Savior. All we do is present the evidence the best that we can and leave it to the individual. Will you believe this? Will you believe this most wonderful, wonderful message? And so by the time you come to the end of the book of Mark, there's a couple of questions that was asked. And if you look there in Mark chapter 16, you'll notice that the Lord was very disappointed. I mean, he didn't die and paid for sin, come back from the dead. And he says in verse 11, and they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, see those two words, believe not. You see, everything Christ did was for the purpose of getting people to believe. And it's greatly disappointing when people don't believe. Have you ever witnessed to people? Doesn't it disappoint you when people don't believe it? Because I can't make them believe it. You can't force a person to trust Christ. And it's greatly disappointing. There's been times I walked away and I've, I've, I've cried. I've, I've had tears in my eyes. I can't say I broke down and bawled like a baby. No. But it does break your heart. Because you know they don't know what they're doing. Don't you understand? And you wonder, was I clear enough? Did I make it simple enough? And the only evidence I can give is the things that most people already know. And when you talk about the bad news, did you know almost all of your bad news in the giving of the gospel are evidences they can relate to? I'm a sinner. And they know it. I'm going to die. That's the truth. See, there's some evidence that they have that they all know. That, that's true. That's true. And they already believe that heaven is a perfect place and God is perfect. And they know there's a problem. They don't know the solution to the problem. And sometimes when you tell them, you know, you can't earn your way to heaven by your good works. Some people really get bent out of shape. Because all their life they've been told that all you got to do is be good, do the best you can and go to church. And now you're telling me that won't work. And I have to admit that I've been wrong all these years. 
Some people are so filled with pride that they'd go to hell before they admit they're wrong. I'm serious. And that's when it really breaks your heart. Stubbornness. The Bible says that this willful rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And there's a lot of people that are rebellious. And it won't matter what you do, they're not going to believe it. It doesn't matter what Christ did, some people will not believe it. And you can witness to some people and pour out your heart, and some people are not going to believe it. But, as you sow the seed, there's always a few. So that made sense to me. We had a Bible study Saturday morning. And I didn't know he was there. And I didn't know anything about him. But that fellow sitting, I don't know, is that you? Mike, you were there at the Bible study. And I don't remember talking to you before. I may have, but I just don't remember. And I found out he trusted Christ as his Savior. Somehow, Steve Pasternak gave him a heaven track. And he took the heaven track and then began to listen to my radio broadcast. And listening to the radio broadcast, he trusted Christ as Savior. And he's been coming out to church ever since. And this was just about a month and a half ago? Three weeks ago. And he, I don't know if he's missed yet. He's been here. But see, that's not somebody a hundred years ago finally turns around. This is a month ago. Just a few weeks ago. And some people are just finding out what some of us have known for years. I've known this truth for 53 years. And some people are just hearing it for the first time. Don't think, well, everybody's already heard this. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. And so that's why if Christ is real to you, let him be real in your life. Because the way you live is not going to preach the gospel, but the way you live might keep somebody from not believing what you say. Live a good life, a righteous life, a holy life. Because, you see, your life becomes the evidence of what you believe to other people. I would not want somebody to reject Christ because I was a hypocrite. Now, some people, you're not going to convince them. I don't care what you do. But look also there in verse 14. Afterwards, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them which uh, with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. After all the things that he had done, all the miracles that he did to convince anybody, this last piece of evidence was his resurrection before he ascended into heaven. If he came back from the dead, it would be the Proof, he was who he claimed to be. And then it all makes some sense. Now take your Bible and look there in the book of John. Very quickly, the Gospel of John. And in John, I want you to look there in chapter 20. Some of the disciples even had trouble of what to believe. But in verse 30, he makes this statement. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Why? Why are they written? Why certain ones that he did out of his life were put into this book 
And God, by the person of the Holy Spirit, guided the Apostle John to write the right ones. Out of all the ones that he had, he put the choice ones in here so that we would believe. So this whole thing is boiled around, can you believe what he said and what he did? So he says in verse 31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So it's not just believe Jesus for eternal life. You don't find that anywhere in Scripture. But do you do believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be? And Christ says, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sin. So it's, you've got to believe, who is he? And so he's given the evidences who he is. He truly is the Son of God. The Son of God. He is deity. He is man. He is perfect God. He is perfect man. And he came into the world to down the cross to pay for all of our sins. That all that we had to do was the only thing we could do is to believe that he did it for us. And by believing that, God says that he would give to us as a free gift everlasting life. Before I close, look there in the book of Luke, the last chapter in the book of Luke. Just want you to see this real quick. In the book of Luke, all of it boils down to what do you believe? Starts off at the beginning of each one of these books about Jesus, how he was born, what he was going to be, what he was going to do. Will you believe it? And so for three years, everything he said and did was to convince people, believe me. Because, see, you won't trust him as your Savior if you don't believe he can. But he makes this statement in verse 25 of Luke chapter 24. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So he began at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Why did he do that? Because they were downhearted. They were sad. This is the third day when all these things were talked about. And yet they did not believe. You see... When you can believe what God says, it makes a difference in your countenance. It, takes, it makes a difference in your whole life, your attitude about everything. Otherwise, the heartaches and the problems of life are going to be so terrible to you, you'll think God got sick and died and there's no help for you. There's no hope. But there is. The one that came back from the dead cares about everything that goes on in our life. Do you believe that? What Evidence do you require as proof for you to trust God for today or for tomorrow? What could be so bad out there that you can't trust God for? What's coming down the pike? What could the devil do to you? What's the worst tribulation you could go through that would shake your faith in God when he has given you all the evidence you need? There's nobody that has power over him. When he came back from the dead and he says in Matthew 28, all power is given unto me 
It means that God Himself can move heaven and earth in response to your prayer. In response to your prayer. Prayer moves God, and God can move heaven and earth. Sure makes a lot of sense to me. Are you worried about anything? Cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Oh, ye of little faith. I was telling somebody last night, I saw them over there in the gym, and they was doing some stuff. I said, you know, I was thinking about something. I've seen in the scriptures where it says, oh, ye of little faith. I've never seen the verse that says, oh, ye of too much faith. <laughs> Have you found that verse yet? If you do, I want you to show it to me. Oh, ye of too much faith. See, it's not sometimes the size of your faith, but it is the object of your faith. Can you put your faith and trust in what God says? Do you really believe he's in charge? Do you really believe in Romans 8, 28? All things work together for... Yeah, that's everybody but me. Everybody, you, you know, a lot of time when I finish, I always say be kind to everybody because everybody's having a, a rough time. Everybody's having a rough time. Everybody's struggling about something. Nobody's free from it. Everybody's got wars and little battles they're facing. Have any? Welcome to the club. The only way you can eliminate all the problems of life is just to check out of here. And then you'll wish you hadn't have. This end represent you and me. The wall represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Hates our sin, but he loves us. It says for us to pay for that sin is eternal separation from God. And the reason is because, you see, we can't go to heaven with sin because heaven's a perfect place. God says your good works won't pay for your sins. So you need a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh, came into the world because he loved us, hates our sin, because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he took all of ours, paid for it on the cross, and that last piece of evidence, he came back from the dead. Proves that everything he said, everything he did was true. Because nobody can do that but God. No man has ever done what he's done. He means what he said. We can trust him. We can trust Him. And when you trust Him as your Savior, He gives you everlasting life. And you go to heaven on what He did. Now, you may have trusted Christ as your Savior. This same God that promised eternal life also made a lot of promises to His children. He said He'll never cast you out. He said He'll never lose you. And He says to cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. That's what He said. But you know how God is. You can't believe anything He says, can you? Or can you? Can you trust him? What's coming down the road? You don't have to know. Some of you may get away with it for a week, and then boom, something happens. And sometimes it seems like when something really good happens, something really bad always offsets it. So that you don't have that full joy that you want to have. That's why we have the word of God. Stay close to the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Believe his word. Trust him. Let's pray, shall we? With head bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you right now just between you and the Lord say, Lord, I know I'm a sin, and I believe Christ died for me. And I want to trust Him as my only hope of going to heaven. If you've never trusted Christ, would you do it right now?
If you're watching by internet, understand that this is the only thing you have to do. It's the only thing you can do. Will you believe that when Christ died, He died for you? That payment He made on the cross, He, he did it for you. And if you'll believe He did it for you, He gives you right now eternal life. And you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. I said, preacher, that made sense to me, and I know I'm a sinner. And I want to go to heaven when I die, and I believe Christ died for me. And I'm going to trust Him right now as my only hope of going to heaven. Friend, if you're making that decision, I'd like to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're God's child. As a child of God, don't doubt in the dark what God given to you in the light. The will of God will not lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. There's nothing that you can go through that God doesn't already know. Trust Him. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one. We pray, Lord, for a good week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.